Uh, this old body has seen many, many falls. And one of the falls I'm going to share with you this morning uh, happened about 20 years ago when a friend and I were mountain biking uh, in the bush down near Glenbrook uh, in Sydney. And as we were riding along, uh, we came across two elderly ladies who were walking along the track. Uh, we stopped because they were in the road um, and we started talking with them and they'd come over from England to bury their brother and they were going for a walk through the bush before they took a flight home the next day. So we chatted with them and, and had a bit of a yak. Uh, and then we decided we should get back on our bikes before we cooled down too much um, and had muscle problems in our legs. And my friend said to me as we were climbing back onto our bikes, he said, up ahead there's a little bridge. The bridge has two planks of wood going across it, but don't head for the gap in the middle. He said, get across safely, because he certainly wasn't going to carry me out of the bush. Well, I jumped on my bike, followed him, and saw the gap and the bridge. The plank of wood was that wide. The tyre, you would think, proportionally, not hard to get across the bridge. Well, in my skill of riding a bike, I found the gap. But not only did I find the gap, I found the far side of the gully at the same time. The front tyre came off the plank, hit the gully on the, over, on the other side, and I went straight over the handlebars. Well, you know the equation, don't you, when you go over the handlebars. Let me give it to you mathematically. The sum of human mass speed is speed times mass times the acceleration you get going over the handlebars until you hit the ground. My friend said it was like a big slab of meat hitting an old butcher's block. He laughed. He came back and made sure I was okay, but he laughed. And there I was, flat on my back, on this bush trail, doing a check of my body. My feet were okay, my legs were okay, my back was okay, my arm was okay, my neck was okay, my head was okay, the systems were working okay, but it hurt. What was going to get me up on the bike again? What was it that was going to motivate me to keep going? I searched deep, deep within me, and I realised that I didn't want to be lying on the ground when the two old ladies came around the corner to check up on me. So that was the motivation. I straggled myself up, got on my bike and left, digging deep to find the motivation. Friends, what is it that motivates you from God's word to get up every morning and to live for him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, we acknowledge that we need your teaching. We need your Holy Spirit to come into our hearts, into our minds and into our soul so that we will be found not only obedient 
but also teachable and encouraging one another to live the way you want us to live. Father, we are all different and we rejoice in that. We all have different groups of people we associate with. Help us to know what it is that motivates us so that we can stand firm in Christ in the society we live in. This morning in Psalm 138, we'll see what motivates David to write this psalm. And hopefully, through the Holy Spirit, you'll find encouragement and be able to articulate what motivates you to live as Christians. Psalm 38 is a psalm of excitement. David is jumping around. He's like a madman praising God. But we don't know why he's doing it. There's no indication of what was the reason or the incident that caused David to have great passion and exuberance. Sometimes I think we should delight in this. Sorry about for the iPad. I won't tread on it. Sometimes we should delight in it because when we focus on the incident, sometimes we forget about the God who's behind that incident. So David looks at something in life, it spurs him on to praise, and in Psalm 138, verses 2, he gives us the clue as to why he is jumping around with joy. It says at the end of verse 2, for your love and for your faithfulness. He also repeats a similar phrase in verse 8, for your love, O Lord, endures forever. David is leaping and jumping, praising and bowing down and telling people about God because of God's love for him. And it's not just ordinary love, it's the love that comes from the covenant. It's covenantal love and kindness. David is reflecting that he is in the hands of God and he is a result of God's promise that he made many years ago with Abraham in the covenant. I think, friends, we forget sometimes about God's covenant that he makes that he will be our God and you will be his people. We forget about God's love is not just based in his generous heart, but a promise that he also made many millennia ago. Listen to Genesis 17:7. I will always keep the promise I have made to you and your descendants because I am your God and their God. If you flip to Revelation 21, verse 7, you'll hear these words. All who win the victory will be given these blessings. I will be their God and they will be my people. The echo from the beginning to the end is God has made a promise that he will be the God of his people and that the people will be his. We're Presbyterians. We believe in the covenant. Well, if you're not Presbyterian, that's okay. But we Presbyterians believe in the covenant. It's a a great promise that God makes. But how often do you reflect on that? 
reflect on God's promise. And that promise became more fulfilled and the reality of it was when Jesus came to die on the cross. The reality is that you and I are now here as Christ's people because of the promise that God made to Abraham. Yes, from eternity, but from the covenant as well. And we strive each day to be God's people through the work of the Holy Spirit. Listen to John 14, verse 26. But the Holy Spirit will come and help you because the Father will send the Spirit to take my place. The Spirit will teach you everything and will remind you of what I said while I was with you. Great promise, isn't it? But if you flick to Galatians chapter 3, Paul connects the work of the Holy Spirit with Abraham. Galatians 3.14 And because of what Christ has done, the blessing that was promised to Abraham was taken to the Gentiles. This happened so that by faith we would be given the promised Holy Spirit. I hope you just start to get an understanding of how God works. He knew from the beginning to the end how he would do it through his promise, through his covenant that he made to Abraham. And the reality is that you and I live as Christians each day because he's given us the Holy Spirit who works in us, grows us and changes us and challenges us. My sister is one of these people that does the family tree, you know. I don't want to be on a family tree. I prefer the comfort of a lounge. However, she goes and finds out all our relatives and is really excited about it and tells me about it. I'm not that excited. They're dead. I can't talk to them. But I do get really excited When I think about this, my family tree spiritually goes all the way back to a promise that God made to Abraham. My heritage is thousands of years old because of what God has said and has done and has kept his promises. Maybe I should say that to my sister. I've got a better family tree that lasts forever, which is really cool. And so David reflects on this covenantal love and the importance of it. And he bursts forth. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness. For you, you have exalted all things. Above all things. Your name, your word, your character, who you are. When I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. I called to you, the God of the universe, and you heard me. Now, wives, wouldn't you love that? 
as a response from your husbands every time. I heard you, dear, and I have responded. Well, God responds. And God responded in a way that strengthened and made David stout-hearted. He is excited because God is working in him. You've made me stout-hearted. Listen to what is written again in Galatians 3 in verses 19 to 20. I want you to know all about Christ's love, although it's too wonderful to be measured. It's a mind-boggling concept, isn't it? I want you to know about God's love, but put your tape measure away. You will just continually learn about it. Then your lives will be filled with all that God is. I pray that Christ Jesus and the church will will forever bring praise to God. His power at work in who? Us. Can do far more than we dare ask or imagine. David is overwhelmed that God is working in his life and we have the same God working in our life because that's what God has promised thousands of years ago. David is full of passion and exuberance in praise and worship. He's overwhelmed when he thinks about the covenant that God had made to Abraham and brings it forward into his life. And it emboldens him. It strengthens him. To do what? To declare before the universe and the kings, which could mean anyone, everyone, or the surrounding kids, kings, that he is going to worship God without reservation. He is going to praise God for his character, his word and his actions. Now let's put this into perspective. Can you imagine if we had a Christian Prime Minister? You can't, can you? But let's just assume John Anderson became permanent Prime Minister. Can you imagine what would happen in the press... If he got up in Parliament and declared that God has emboldened him to speak and to praise his name, not just to the parliamentarians, but I've rung up the President of the United States, I've rung up every world leader and I've said, God is great. He has promised many things and you need to listen to him. That would be mind-blowing. That would be incredible. But that is exactly what David is doing because he is king and he is declaring to everyone that God has brought him to this position as king, given him the victories because of what God has done and promised. David is saying to the Gentile kings, God is my victory. God has done this. Don't look to me. 
Look to the God who is behind me. David wants them to understand that it is God, not him. But have you noticed in the reading in verse 5 what David says about the kings? May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. David is praying that the kings will believe in God. Not only is he praising God and rejoicing in him, he wants the kings to become part of God's family because that is the only way people can praise God, can't they? And that praise to be accepted by God is to come into his family. Brothers and sisters, you and I are privileged to be on that family tree that started all the way back in that covenantal promise that God made to Abraham. We experience the joy and the privileges of knowing that Christ came, ministered, died, rose again and ascended for the forgiveness of our sins and the world. But shouldn't we also pray for the people that don't know Christ yet and do what David did, pray for the surrounding people because there will come a day when we all stand before Jesus in Revelation 19, that everyone will be presented before Jesus who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. But only those who Christ has redeemed, who people have accepted into his heart, will find that day a day of rejoicing. Did you notice also how God works in verse 6? He comes to those in lowly circumstances. I remember when I was living in Narrabri and we had someone who lived under a bridge. And he was an old dude. And, you know, like a lot of people who live under the bridge at his age, he had more jackets on him in the middle of summer than you can imagine. But he stunk. He was one of these people that, about a hundred yards away, you knew he was coming and you would run. It just... Well, to my shame and to many others, you avoided that because it just was unpleasant. And yet God says here, I minister to those who are in lowly circumstances particularly those who are spiritually low. I don't know about you when you drive around or ride around or walk around that you take much notice of those who are of lowly in spirit. Or do you just walk past them and not think about them? 
Jesus has come to die for people. True, the whole universe is going to be redeemed and renewed, but he's come to die for people. And I sometimes wonder when I walk around Lake Tuggeranong, I don't know what you have up here in the Badlands. Sorry, up, up, up here in the north. I just don't give people a second thought. And this psalm has just reminded me that Jesus became poor so that we might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8 9. And Philippians 2, the first 12 verses, where it's recorded that Jesus became a servant so that we might be set free. Friends, Jesus came, lived, died, fully God, fully man, and we have received that blessing. We have been saved from the eternal consequences of sin and death and we should rejoice in that. And this is what we read in verses 7 and 8. David boasts in 7 and 8. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. That's just, I walk in life. You preserve it for me. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand you save me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not, do not abandon the works of your hand. David confidently, confidently from this position of recognising God's covenantal love and being the recipient of it, that he can walk through life knowing that God is not finished with him yet. He can walk through life knowing that God will protect him. And he can walk through life knowing, knowing that there is still more things to do. Have you taken note of Philippians 1.6? No, you probably haven't. And if I asked you to say, what does Philippians 1.6 tell me? You'd probably go, hang on, just let me look it up and then I'll tell you. But let me read it for you so I don't embarrass you. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. That's verses 3 and 4. We're not to verse 6 yet. It's not a long verse. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Similar to the words that David speaks here. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. God does not abandon the work of his hands. If you are a Christian, God is at work in you even though you may not know it. One of the good things about getting up every morning is knowing that it doesn't matter what's around the corner because God is. 
When I was working in mental health, people used to say, I don't know what's around the corner. I just used to say, God is. It wasn't a flippant saying because it's true. And if God has started a work in you, all through your journey, he's not going to abandon you and he will finish that work. And you know when the work is finished? When you die. So if you are not dead here this morning, take heart. God has not finished with you yet. A gentleman called J.W. Bergen wrote these words. His created hands formed our souls at the beginning. His nail-pierced hands redeemed us on Calvary. His glorified hands holds our soul fast and will not let it go. Into his hands let us commend our spirits. Friends, our present, our future, our eternal hope is in God's hands. Because all the way back thousands of years ago, he made a promise to Abraham. From eternity, he knew that you would be his child. I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your God and you will be my son and you will be my daughter. When I looked at this psalm, I can understand why David got real excited. He got thrilled. The God of the universe is not out there. He's actually at work in me. My response to that is, I'm going to praise and tell people about God. Well, it caused me to reflect on some questions. And I'm going to share those questions with you. And they're yes-no questions, okay? So if you're a lawyer here today, okay, and you've got a witness on the stand, you say to them, these are yes-no questions. Do you acknowledge that Jesus is your Lord and Saviour? Don't tell me. That's between you and God. Do you rest in the covenantal love that God has declared to you, beginning with Abraham? Do you believe that you are the work of God's hands and that he will not abandon you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you believe that God is victorious and that you are part of his victory march? And do you worship God for his unfailing covenantal love and faithfulness? I have every confidence that most of you, apart from the covenant if you've never heard of it before, would have said yes to all those five questions. It's a delight. God would be delighted. But here is the sting in the tail to those five questions, which is a sixth one. And that is mission. David goes on a mission. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. David chooses to declare God to everyone publicly and with great emboldened spirit. 
So how will people today hear God's message? Well, you know the answer to that, don't you? It's Romans 10.4. Again, I won't ask you to tell me what it is. I'll, I'll read it for you, just so I don't make a mistake either. How can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone being quiet? How can they hear without someone preaching to them, telling them about Jesus? Hear what I'm about to say with a reflective heart. It is appropriate that you and I praise and worship God because of his covenantal promise that he made to Abraham, that that promise was fulfilled when Christ came to die and raise again for our sins. We declare that we believe in Christ. We accept the comfort that our eternity is safe and secure in God's hands. We acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is in our life and growing and changing us. We enjoy reading the Bible without any pressure, even though sometimes we may feel it's dry. But you know what? I think it's just a little bit self-serving if we leave it there. It's a little bit self-indulgent if it's just for us. Because Christ didn't come to do a private ministry. He put himself out there, as David put himself out there, to stand firm and speak about God. So here is the sixth question. Brothers and sisters in Christ, are you active in living out your faith and sharing the message of Jesus with those you do community with who don't know Christ yet? You see, most of you would have said, mm, yes. Some of you would have gone, mm, no. And there'd probably be a group of you go, hmm, I think I might ponder about that one. You see, David was so emboldened, he spoke. Christ was so full of love for his father that he came. He lived and he spoke. Are you going to be a speaker on behalf of Jesus? Are you going to share his message and share your faith with those you do community with? Here are those five questions again. Do you acknowledge that Jesus is your Lord and Saviour? Yes. Do you rest in the covenantal love that God has declared to you at the beginning of Abraham? I do now because I understand it a little bit better. Do you believe that you are the work of God's hands and that he will not abandon you? Well, I'm getting used to that because most of us forget that we are the work of God's hands and he is working in us, but we would say yes. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that God is victorious and that you are part of his victory march? Yes. Do you praise and worship God for his unfailing covenantal love and faithfulness? Yes. Brothers and sisters in Christ, are you active in sharing your faith and the message of Jesus with those you do community with? Most of us, I think, will probably say 
I need to work on that one. I think. I could be wrong. Once I cooked a a casserole, I thought I was pretty good. I got a recipe and it said three cloves of garlic. (laughs) Not a problem. I cut up three cloves of garlic, whacked it in the casserole, stirred it up, ate it. I mean, not all of it because I was needed it for the next three or four days as you do with a casserole when you leave living that way well let me tell you I reeked of garlic man I went to work I was like that old guy in Narrabri just parted I go yum loved it and someone asked me why do you reek of garlic garlic I said well I just put some garlic in a chicken casserole I put Three little cloves in. And I said, no way. You stink too much. What I had actually done was cut up three bulbs (laughs) and put it in the casserole. Oops. My bad. But as you know, you tend not to smell yourself. So I was fine. In the people that you relate to, How do they know that you are a Christian? If you were in their presence, would you reek of God's love, God's faithfulness, God's message of hope, messages of the way God's working in your life? Or will you be silent, hoping they understand I pray that over the next few weeks that the Holy Spirit will work in your life to be able to reflect on how do I share the message of Jesus in my life. You see, Psalm 138 is a great comforting psalm. God's covenantal love has saved me. I'm going to praise and worship God. And yet at the same time, it is challenging. I'm going to declare God's faithfulness to the kings and I know that in my life says David at the end God will not abandon the work of his hands I turned around and I looked at this psalm and I reflected what is it that motivates me to stand up to praise God and when I get that little bit of courage and the glint in my eye to let people know about Jesus. What is it? Well, here are some things I'm going to share with you. And the reason why I wrote them is I think it's important sometimes that we articulate as Christians what it is we actually believe. And here they are. I am the work of God's hands, the promise of his covenant, and the recipient of Jesus' saving work on the cross. I live for and share the message of Christ. God the Holy Spirit continues his work in me for the rest of my days on earth. Number four, I know that I am safe in the arms of Jesus. And number five, and so before all people, may God embolden me to have no shame 
No timidity, only courage to stand firm in Christ. Would you like those again? Because you may want to pinch them for yourself. That's okay. What goes around is called a wheel. I am the work of God's hands. We've got to know that and understand that. I am the promise of his covenant. It's not by accident, I believe. And I've just done what I hate doing with this iPad. It's pressing something and everything disappears. Here we are. And I am the recipient of Jesus' saving work on the cross. All God, none of me. I live for and share the message of Jesus. I'm working on that, on both of them. God the Holy Spirit continues his work in me for the rest of the days of my life. That is a terrific comfort, particularly when people give up on you, to know God hasn't. I know that I am safe in the arms of Jesus. And let me tell you, when I go into someone's arms, I don't always feel safe. And so the result of this, and so before all people may God embolden me to have no shame, no timidity and courage to stand firm in Christ. I asked you the question at the beginning, what motivates you to live for Christ? May you read Psalm 138, be reminded of God's covenantal love and the result that it had in David's life, praise and worship and declaring God's love to other people and the comfort of knowing that God will not abandon him. Friends, God will not abandon you.